What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Kiddish Club. This week, we have a fascinating interview with Rabbi Hul. Rabbi Alexander Hul was gracious enough to join us. And for me, this was a tremendous treat because uh, I've read his books, as I've mentioned them here on the podcast before. And the crazy part is, is that he gave us his time and he uh, we asked him, we just threw these questions at him. As you'll see, uh, we don't even, we spend the majority of the podcast discussing the times of Mashiach. Uh, to me, that was fascinating in and of itself, just to know that there are, to him, there are clear-cut dates where everything checks out, and it's got to be, it's got to be, it's got to be the certain time or that certain time. But it, you say it, to him, I am 150% on board with him. I am convinced, so we're not going to give away the house right now. You have to listen to the podcast. He gives a straight-up date for when Mashiach's coming. And I am convinced. I'm absolutely convinced. I'm ready to, you know, I'm ready to sell everything I own. I'm ready to... Yes, but... You're it, not convinced. That it's not that I'm not convinced. I'm convinced there are times where it's more... Auspicious. Yeah, there are times when the coming of Mashiach is just much more conducive. Like, it's just available. Like, if we bring it, we then then we can do it. And then there's the final time where it's got to come. That's it. The deadline, the clock has run out. But I think I think as we, we look around the world today, I mean, we're trying to make sense of the craziness of what's going on to hear what he had to say. Well, you throw into the mix this... Ukraine Russia, situation. U- Ukraine situation, and that's a game changer. Because the Gemara says it straight away, that in the sixth year, there will be wars. And in this, no, is it the sixth or the seventh? Six is Kailas. Yeah, seventh but, is wars. Moitzi Shemitah. And then right after. Right. Rabbi Hul talks about that a lot. Gemara says it straight away. Sixth year, there's going to be voices. Seventh year, there's going to be wars. And then right after Shemitah that year, that's when Mashiach will arrive. So just to see everything that's going on in the world, it's it's sobering because it, this could be it. It doesn't have to be it, but it could. Right. One thing that threw me off a little bit was at the end uh, when we were signing off where he he uh, he mentions that we're doing a tremendous Kiddush Hashem with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I said... I'm not sure if he hear, he's heard no, 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 it before. We, but, we, we, but we really do. Come on. We do good work. We do. Is it, is it a kid to Shashem? Okay, I guess we hope it is. Listen. It's if, supposed to be kosher entertainment, right? Exactly. And if, and if one person smiles, maybe you made their day better. True. Okay, well, this is a very long interview, uh, and every second of it is enjoyable and illuminating and fascinating. Yeah, I was, I was blown away. I'm not going to deny blown it. Blown away. So we want to bring it to you in its, in its entirety. And so uh, here it is, Rabbi Alexander Hull. It's a tremendous honor for us here on the podcast to welcome to the show Rabbi Alexander Hull. Rabbi Hull has written several books. I've read them, and they're unbelievable. We're going to find out more from him, uh, and we're going to find out where you can get them. I got them on Amazon. But these are some of the most amazing books in Judaism, Judaica, I don't know what you want to call it, but they're some of the most amazing things I've ever read, uh, where he synthesizes uh, archaeology with 
Tyra and with Tyra sources to bring out some of the history of Claudius Earl. And welcome to the show, Rabbi Hull. Yeah, thank you very much uh, for having me. Uh, it's a great pleasure to join you and to speak with you about uh, the books. So, Rabbi Hull, if you if you can tell us just uh, a little bit about what you've been doing and how these books came to be. Before we start with with the history of the books, what are the books called, Rabbi? Uh, well, the first book is called um, The Challenge of Jewish History. Um, that deals with uh, discrepancy, uh, major discrepancy in, between traditional Jewish history uh, with regard to the Second Temple period um, against the secular chronology. Basically, it's uh, a discrepancy of 168 years. The secular chronologists um, attribute to the Second Temple roughly 589 years, whereas according to the Jewish tradition, the Second Temple stood for only 420 years. And that's really the, the first book. We also talked about um, in the first book about Ahasuerus, who was Ahasuerus, the identity of Ahasuerus, a missing three years in the period beforehand, the exact time of the destruction of the Second Temple. That was the first book. The second book is called um, Pharaoh, and that deals with uh, the period before that, going all the way back from the Second Temple period, basically all the way to um, to the flood, which um, uh, the flood was was at the time of Noah, and soon after uh, he established um, his three sons, established um, one of his sons, established um, the empire of Egypt, and Egypt has a long history. Uh, a long dynastic history, which leads all the way up to the second base Amigdosh. Now, Yovesh, who actually built the second base Amigdosh, was one of the kings, the rulers of the 27th dynasty of Egypt. So he wasn't only a Persian king, he was actually also an Egyptian king as well. So we have a continuous history um, from the beginning, from the birth of the Egyptian empire all the way through to, um, to the second temple. There, there is another discrepancy um, uh, in order to correlate um, Egyptian history with the Torah and Jewish tradition, one needs to contract Egyptian history by an incredibly an amount of a thousand years. Um, there's also the question, who is the pharaoh? Where did he live? Um, and how did that fit in with the, the, the Sip of Yitzhak Mitzrayim and the previous stories in the in the Bible. Well, That's it seems like you, we, we kind of got you at the exact time because this is these are in Yana de now where we're coming to, to Purim and straight from there to Pesach. And this is kind of your season. Is that right? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. As far as the, 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 these two books are concerned, yes, there's, a, there's the, the, the episode of Purim, which is, is it's crucial because it's in the beginning of the Second Temple period and it's one of the Persian kings, and the, the main problem is how to work out the exact chronology of the Persian era with respect to the Greek era. So yes, it's the, uh, the story of Purim has a crucial bearing on that. And yes, Yitzhak Mitzrayim Pesach is all about Egyptian history. And when was Yitzhak Mitzrayim? How did that fit into uh, to Egyptian dynastic era? Yes, definitely. So I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of people forget when we think about the the history of Egypt and we think about the the whole story of Passover, we, people forget that there was this Egyptian dynasty that was going on for 
hundreds and hundreds of years, probably. Thousands. Yeah. Thousands of years. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So it re- according to um, secular uh, dating, um, the Egyptian Empire, the dynastic era, began roughly about 3000 BCE. Um, which is quite impossible according to um, the biblical knowledge because in the year 3760 BCE was the year of creation. Um, and um, after 1656 years after that, there was the flood. And so Egypt only came into being sometime after that. So 3000 BCE is way out. Um, but this needs to be explained. We have to, we have to um, uh, confront the evidence um, of the dynastic era and and how to uh, to uh, to allow this to be uh, uh, understood in the in the framework of the Torah and the the, the major stories which are um, the Egyptian um, uh, episodes has within the Bible story we have uh, from Joseph who came down to Egypt and there was a uh, several hundred years where the Bnei Yisrael were actually living in Egypt before the final exodus. And after that, there was also um, interaction in later on periods with Egyptian history. So um, that we have to try and correlate the, the information which we have, and we have a lot of information from the Torah and from rabbinic tradition, um, and using that and using the authentic sources of Egyptian history and up-to-date, sophisticated astronomical datings, we can actually discover the precise history of Egypt uh, throughout the Bible period. So Rabbi Hul, um, I, I do want to mention uh, two more books, because, and then we'll, we'll jump right into some of the questions. Uh, and I, I have, I, having read the books, I, I have my own shilas that, I, that I've you know been thinking about for a long time that I'd love to ask you about. But I do want to mention the other two. Uh, one is called Searching for Sinai, and one is called The Desert Encampments from Sinai to the Holy Land. So those are also really in Yana Diyama. We are entering the times where these books really uh, are megala to us, a lot of what we're going to be reading about in every Parsha. So it's, it's, it's a pretty exciting time. And uh, so one of the questions, I actually, this has been on my mind weighing on me. And so I'm just, I have to begin with this, even though it's, I don't think this is what you're expecting. At the end of your book on Pharaoh, which to me was astounding, there are about two pages that I was reading and I fell off my chair. I've referenced them in this podcast previously. It's two pages where you talk about dating the times of Mashiach. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Um, yes. Um that's an interesting uh, topic when Moshiach comes. Um, the, actually, Doniel, in, um, in the Sefer Doniel, the angel, the Malach, actually referred, tells Doniel, uh, predicts to Doniel when the Messianic era will begin. But he says it in a few words, and they are very cryptic. The words are... Um, when when he and when the question is uh, is broached and how long will the gollus take till when it till when will the gollus last and that the response came back um, until ad erev boiker al paim shloshmeus just that that is the whole message it's obviously a cryptic 
message. But literally, Aaron, literally, what does it mean? Literally means until um, evening, morning, 2300. So those words were just a few words. Uh, what do those words mean? Now, throughout um, our history, the sages have tried to decipher this message. Um, the Rashi, the Rav Gorn, the Ibn Ezra, the Malbim, and uh, various uh, explanations have been offered. And unfortunately, uh, Mashiach hasn't come uh, in any one of those um, periods, any one of those ages which was um, set by the Rishonim to explain these crucial words. Now, it doesn't mean that they were wrong. It means if that an explanation can be given to those words in the particular time which the Rishonim say, that would suggest that that time, that particular time, um, which does ha offer an explanation for these words, is more conducive for bringing the Mashiach. That, unfortunately, we were not Zoycha. Uh, to Moshiach. Now, as we get closer to the end of the year 6000, the possibilities of offering new explanations um, become smaller and smaller because we're running out of time. Furthermore, it seems to now be unveiled a crucial clue into the understanding of what these words mean. Because um, it was an originally understood that ad erev boiker al paim shloshmeos is referring to um, um, uh, a period of 2,300 years from a certain period in the past um, uh, at the time of when the Malach spoke to Donia. But we now see that this cannot be true because since the Malach gave this prediction to Doniel, there has already been 2,300 years which has elapsed. So what this means is that the Arab Boikar Paim Shloshmeos must be a starting off point. There was a starting off point which had not actually begun at the time when the Malach spoke to Doniel, but was going to happen. And from that point onwards, um, it, was a, 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 it was a starting off point which was referred to Erev Boikar. And from then on, the clock starts 2,300 years, and that will take us to the Messianic era. Now, this um, setting of Erev Boikar, which was sometime in the future, would surely have been uh, referred to in the Bible. Uh, but from Doniel um, till the end of the Bible is only uh, 30 or so years. Um, that, that, that the Bible finishes at the times of Nehemiah. So there must be a period which can be referred to as Erev Boiker, um, which would be a, a significant point to start off uh, the 2,300 years. And indeed, there seems to be a blatant um, indication from the verses after Doniel, uh, before the end of the Bible, which refers to an Erev Boiker, which... Um, would be a, a possibility for a starting off point. And that is uh, the building of the wall around Jerusalem, which Nehemiah set up. And there it says that there was an Erev, there was a, a Boiker. A Boiker means uh, in Hebrew is to be levaker, is to distinguish uh, the, 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 the Jewish people 
to, um, to in order to arrange those who had yichus and those who didn't have yichus. And the pasuk mentions that there was an era as a mixed multitude of of Jewish people, which needed to be um, sorted out who their yichus was, and there was a bikur of this era. So it would seem that this may the, what may be what the Malach is hinting to the era boiker, which happened a few years later at the time of Nehemiah. And um, uh, if that is so, if that is so, um, we can actually now with the with the clear um, construction of the Persian history, we can actually um, find the precise timing in. Uh, in the year, the absolute uh, dating system of when the wall round Yerushalayim was was set up by Nehemiah. It was in the 20th year of Achashastam. We can now work out who this Achashastam is. And following on 2,300 years takes us to 2,027, which is roughly three and a half years from now. Now, Furthermore, wait. Can I just um, get? Can I just get one thing clear? <laughs> he just dropped the bomb. Yeah. <laughs> he just dropped the bomb. <laughs> just from yeah, from so the th- end of Tanakh, which is the the last book, Nehemiah. How many years is it till today? Um, we 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 we, we don't. I, th- I think from. Uh, I think it goes up. Not, it doesn't go up much further than the twentieth year of Achashasta. Um, I think there's mention of the thirty-second year um, of Dayovish, um, but the, but this, the time when it was very soon after the wall was set up is actually when the finishes. So there's not many years after that anyway, um, and there's nothing really happening after the the setting up of the wall of the base Amidos. But we're talking about. Um, five, six, seven, or eight years after that. So uh, basically, so, that would yeah, mean it, that two thousand two hundred and ninety-five years is where we're basically sitting. Would that be correct? What would you mean, two thousand? Where, where, where we are now? You mean? Right, where we are right now. Yeah, um, yeah, two thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Very basically, so. so so according to that prophecy, twenty-three hundred is. Five years away. Yeah, I mean it's twenty twenty seven according to um, the indication, uh, and I must tell you, um, there's several other indications for the same date. Um, I'll tell you very briefly. The Zoya says that Tchias Hamesim will take place for the Tzadikim two hundred and fourteen years before everybody else. So if we, uh, since we know that the world uh, only um, will cease to exist after 6,000 years. So if everyone else was um, resurrected in the final year, that means um, we would need uh, for the tzaddikim to take place 215 years before um, the end of the year, which takes us to 2027. Well, I did read so a medrash on, on a, well, a, a hold purish on, so, on Shira so, Shirim. So now that's 20, so that's two rayas now. We're at two rayas for 2027. Yeah, yeah. Let's go for wait, another one. But wait, before yeah. before before you get to the next one, yeah. If we take six thousand and we subtract two hundred and fourteen years, that brings us to twenty twenty seven. Is that what it is? Yes, it does. Yes, it's Toshim Pei. It's Toshim Pei Zion, but Toshim Pei Zion is um, is is following. starting from the year um, before creation. 
So we've been talking about from the year of creation, Tovshin Peizayim, which is 2027, is actually Tovshin Peivov from creation. Tovshin Peivov is precisely 215 years before the end of the year 6,000. So that, just that Raya alone, to me, at least according to the Zayar, is, is, it's a deadline. I mean, that's a deadline that's indisputable if you're going with the Zayar. I mean, that's, Whereas the one from Daniel, we're not sure of when to begin counting. The Zayers ha- has to be. I mean, that, that one is, is basically irrefutable, right? Um, I, well, if, if, if Moshiach doesn't come by then, then obviously it will be refutable. But uh, it's hard to refute. <laughs> right. Obviously, we have the count wrong. From the way right. we see it now. But now, I did, um, see, I did see a peerish on the last Pasuk of Shira Shirim, which is... I don't remember who who it was, but it stated there that Mashiach must come 200 years before the 6,000. And that's because the resurrection of the dead, will take time. It's not that you're going to have billions of people wake up in one day. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Um, so we need at least 200 years. Yeah, there is one, one view that... Um, in the Zoya, that um, it will be 209 um, uh, years, I believe, before the Tzadikim will be resurrected. But it's definitely more than 200. Yeah, I mean, you and, want to talk uh, about a housing crisis, you you know, <laughs> let Chiyas and Mesma happen all in one day. That's not very practical. <laughs> I... Right. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's gonna, things are going to be uh, supernatural anyway. So right. um, uh, we don't really, yeah. But... Um, uh, but again, th- 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 there's another posik in Doniel, um, at the end of Doniel, which refers to a period of three and a half years. Now, this is where it gets very interesting. Um, it refers to a period of three and a half years. Now, um, we also know um, that the Gemara Sanhedrin says that Moshiach is destined to come. Um, now, we are in the Shmita year now. Um, if and and if 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 this shmita is the shmita which is the Gemara is referring to that Motzi shmita Moshiach um, comes Ben David comes then starting from Tishabov um, three and a half years uh, 1335 days it's three and a half years which the Posigin Donia the end of Donia refers to uh, will take us into twenty twenty seven and will actually take us to the festival of Purim. So, um, it, it, according to this um, explanation of Ereb Boker Alpaim Shloshmios, and um, put together with the uh, Gemorin Sanhedrin, um, the Moshiach will actually come next year um, in Tishabov, and followed by a period of three and a half years, and that will be in twenty twenty seven. Which will be the final showdown, and that will bring about um, Tchias Amazing. So um, you have to say, if, if we're in the last Shemitah before Mashiach, then it has to be that way, because Ain Ben David Ba Elo Shvius. Yes, but but there is a, right, but there is another. There is an uh, there is um, if you count three and a half years from twenty twenty seven, it will actually takes you to. Motsoi Shmita of the next Shmita. And that seems to be the view of um, the other opinion in the Zoya, 
And therefore, um, according to this view in the Zohar, 2027 is the beginning of the, of the Messianic period, as far as the, this is the beginning of when the three and a half years begin, and that will finish with the coming of Moshiach in the following Motsi Shemitah. However, so we have basically two days to see that this Shemitah or the next Shemitah, according to the straightforward imp implication of the Posik in Doniel, uh, as well as the Zoya. Um, and we also have the Gomorrah telling us in Sanhedrin that the sign of Moshiach coming in Motsi Shemitah is that the year of Shemitah, there are wars. Well, um, we, we've, you know, we, that, that's, in not, the Yom that's quite clear now. Yes. Yeah, we, we definitely fulfilled that. Um, I mean, so, I was about to ask when, uh, when, when you look at the world. I mean, aside from the fact that this is all mind blowing, and I have two two Shilas on this. When when you look at what's going on in the world right now, what are you thinking? Um, I'm thinking that one really needs to start getting prepared for Moshiach. I mean, when the wars come, I mean, the Gemara says that so many. The more actually leads up um, shows that uh, each year of the of the Shemitah cycle before Moshiach comes. Uh, the Gemara gives a simon, and the Gemara asks that a number, a number of simon have, have been fulfilled, but we haven't seen Moshiach coming. And the Gemara answers to that, yes, but you haven't seen the sign of the sixth and the seventh year. If you saw, if you see the sign of the sixth and the seventh year, then you can start looking forward to seeing Moshiach. Now, the sixth year, the Gemara says, is kolos, and the seventh year is wars. Now, uh, there was talk about invasion already last year. Um, and wars have begun. And so the, the, the signs have been fulfilled. The, the, the Medrash also tells us that just before Moshiach comes, there will be Deve Godel Ba'ulam. We haven't had um, uh, such a, a coronavirus uh, for at least 100 years or wow. so. Wow. Um, so everything does seem to be coming together. Um, wow. It's definitely, the, the way I see it is, it's definitely a time which is conducive for the bringing of Moshiach in um in next year Tishabov. so i think uh, at least we could do is, is, is do as much as we can to get ready yeah i'm starting to sweat there's yes. no question about it <laughs> so rav what, what do you say with so many shilas on this what do you say uh, so I, I actually have shared your your book and and shared this with uh with others what about the uh, the chazal that says that there is no person who could know when the time of Mashiach is Yaakov Avinu tried to 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 tell the Shiftekha, and he he lost you know he lost the ability to do it. Uh, so how how do we uh, balance those two ideas? Right. Um, well, throughout history, um, it has been shrouded over, and for the very obvious reason that to know exactly when the Beit we're talking about here the Beita. I must stress this that Mashiach can come any day; he can come tomorrow uh, if we're worthy. We're talking about the, the prediction of Doniel is the Beito is the final deadline. Um, to know the final deadline throughout history, if let's say, for example, it is 2027 or in 2023, the Moshiach coming, um, it would not be wise to be able to reveal that to uh, the public um, so so many years ago, so far away. But Even today, approach, you don't want everybody uh, to know that you're going to have people running out, you know, racking up credit card debt because they know Moshiach's coming. This is not what you're looking uh, for. I, I don't think people are going to do that, to be honest. Um, uh, I don't think people are going to do that. But um, 
I think to uh, you know one has to uh, be careful and be wary, um, but it's something to look forward to, and it's something to you know to be be prepared for and and, and get oneself in position. You know, Moshiach comes. How am I going to look when Moshiach comes? It's something to be lemeches me boy, um, and especially. Um, as there are so many indications um, that actually the Zoya says when Moshiach, as the, the times of the years of when Moshiach actually comes, it will become known even to the young children um, before Moshiach comes. So as we get close to Moshiach, yes, uh, there is indication from the Zoya that it will become revealed. Um, oh. And this could be a possibly um, an understanding why the Persian era was shrouded in history because the year of Akashast is connected with um, knowing the exact Persian chronology, which could only have been possible now with the, with the sophisticated evidence which we have today in order to be able to, to bring this knowledge to the fore. Um, so we are living in, definitely we're living in Mashiach times. Um, I heard by um, a sage, a recent sage, which is very powerful, he said, the, the lave, the lave says, that um, the world cannot continue uh, to the end of this uh, this century without Moshiach. Uh, and that's for a terrorist stage of our generation. And when his slave says that, that's something to uh, really worry about. Amazing. But so then how does Gog and Magog fit into the, into the equation, equation here? Uh, what, it, what it seems to be, if we're heading for 2027, um, uh, Purim, the three and a half years, ends on... Um, just before Purim, the 13th day of uh, Adar, the 13th day of Adar, um, the Posik in Doniel says, the Malach says, um, the time of Gogu Mogeg, uh, the final showdown, is going to be the most dangerous time in the history of the nation of Klal Yisrael. Um, the 13th day of Adar, we know, was the most dangerous day in the history of uh, Klal Yisrael. It was the day which was destined to be um, the annihilation of Klal Yisrael. Homon knew exactly how to figure out when was the best time to carry mass genocide out on the whole of the nation of Klal Yisrael. And he chose um, the day, the 13th day of Adar. And he was right. This was the most dangerous day uh, in, in, in the history of Klal Yisrael. And according to the, the Malach's prediction, uh, three and a half years will actually end on uh, the 13th of Adar, which is, uh, if we're talking about Bogomogog, a nuclear war, we're talking about minutes, uh, but that day is extremely significant uh, and is extremely uh, dangerous for Kalani Israel. And we're but not sure... Bring and we're not sure which 13th of Adar we're talking about. Is it... Could be next year? Could be 2027, is that right? Uh, well, if, if, if the, the 2027... The three and a half years. We know if we know Moshiach comes in Moitzoi Shmita. So, uh, and that begins in Tishabal. So we have basically two Shmitas where and where where Moshiach would come. So the 2027 is either the end of the three and a half years or the beginning of the three and a half years. Now, if it's the end of the three and a half years, counting from next year Tishabal, three and a half years or 13, 35 days, that leads us to precisely to the 13th of Adar in 2027. Um, that is the first date, that is the 215 years, 
Tovshin Peizayin of Tzchiyas HaMeshin, the final showdown, Gogol Mogai, and the 13th of Adar. If the three and a half years begin in 2027, then evidently the final showdown will be 1335 days after Tisha B'Av from 2027, which actually ends on the first day of Pesach. I mean, uh, if, I think it's, if the next year is 2023, um, and the next Moti Schmidt is going to be um, 2030. Right. 2030 right. and then we'll be yeah, in the next year by Pesach we'll be in, uh, it'll be after January so it'll be 2031 um no, it, no because it ends right it ends it ends, it ends Shemitah, with so it's really 2029 20, 2030 yeah. right it will end in it'll end in uh, coming it will be Pesach of 2030 so it's interesting that both three and a half years both end on precisely a day of festivities for Kali Yisrael, Amazing. either Purim Amazing. or Pesach. Amazing. And I'm sure you've heard there's a lot of talk. I mean, I've heard it said in the name of the Yarizal that uh, Gog is, is, the identity of Gog is Russia. Did you, did you, uh, did you hear of anything like this? Or, or you heard it um, in the name of... Uh, I don't remember Vashem where I heard it. it. I don't remember where I heard it, but I did see it written somewhere that that Russia could be, could be Gog. Um, uh, anything's possible, but if if the the, the, the way I understand it is the Milchomas, which is referred to in Sanhedrin, um, which take place in the year before Moshiach comes, is not referring to Gogomoga. It's referring to wars, but uh, the uh. the, um, the Gogomoga comes three and a half years later. Ah, so uh, if this is the wars, the, the wars of Russia, which is a major wars, uh, which uh, people are talking about comparing to World War Three, um, it's interesting to note it actually says wars. Um, we're at the moment we're in one war, um, but the, uh -oh. the, the lotion of the of the Gemaris is several. Um, oh. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Um, but the Gemara does talk about um, Horus um, actually. Um, having uh, control um it's a question whether they'll actually get control but the the rise of poros um is mentioned uh in the divrei chazal as uh, as the events leading up to the final uh, showdown well one thing that uh putin has now shown the world is that when a country has nuclear weapons they can essentially do whatever they want with impunity because uh, he threatened uh, the world right now with a nuclear holocaust, basically. And so he was allowed to invade Ukraine and the United States and the entire Western civilization, NATO, uh, basically took a back seat and said, we're not doing anything because he's got nukes. Uh, we also know that Iran is uh, at the precipice right now. They're, they're, they're according to, to the state of Israel, according to one report I saw, they, they could be as close as 30 days away from a nuclear weapon. If that happens, it's not crazy to think that Iran, which is Persia, gets you know announces that they have nuclear weapons and they basically could do anything they want, just like Putin, uh, because the the alternative is a world war. Because as we know, they're they're allied with uh, Russia and with China, exactly the same group of people that are doing what they're doing right now. So it's almost like we're seeing, like like the Rav said, we're seeing a lot of these things that were probably unthinkable even 20, 30 years ago. We're starting to see a, a clear path of where this logically could really be. 
paras, we, we can see clearly that paras can actually rise and wreak havoc on the world. Absolutely. And the, uh, we're told in the Medjus, the name Poras is, um, is a peace because the Poras received dominion in stages. And the final stage is uh, in the Me- just before the Messianic times in Iran is that's where the area of Poras is. So, yeah, he's first on the list. Amazing. Now, Rabbi, if I may, let's, let's say this is all correct. And next year, uh, Tisha B'Av, what does it mean? Is it an announcement of Mashiach? Because, again, you have three and a half years until you get to, to the war of Goy Gumagoy. So what does it mean? What, what are we going to be doing for those three and a half years? There's an announcement of Mashiach. There isn't a war. The, the final showdown hasn't taken place. And, and by that time, we'll know it's three and a half years away. What's going on? What is the announcement? And, and what happens in those three and a half years? Right. Um, well, if, if it's going to be next year, Tishabov, and that's when the three and a half years be, uh, begin, uh, evidently it's the revelation of Moshiach. Um, he's probably, he must be alive today, but he probably doesn't know it himself, who he is. Uh, and there's such a thing as Ibor Neshomas, um, and that where he will receive the, 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 the Neshoma of Moshiach, a great sage, a great person, a great tzaddik in our generation, uh, and he will be revealed as Moshiach, and then he will be set about um, bringing uh, union to the world, uh, Achdus, possibly building the base Amigdosh, uh, in that period of three and a half years, beginning and, with Tishbof, uh, yeah. And that will that'll culminate with a, with a war. Apparently people are not going to be too happy with it, with what he's doing. Namely, Goygumagoy. Uh, yeah, um, uh, I, I, yeah, I th- yeah. The, the talk about uh, he's going to have. Yeah, it's not going to be simple uh, for for him to do that. Um, but he'll have siyatadishmaya, and um, uh, things will will be be set on, on record um, as as predicted by the monarch. So I just want to just be, just to be clear: is Goygumogay something we should be fearful of? Because Again, Mashiach has come, we're already three and a half years into Mashiach, then this war comes. So maybe, you know, if, if, if we're holding, you know, it's not something that you have to lose sleep over because, you know, it, it's Mashiach's handling it. Yeah, I mean, Mashiach coming to Chiyas Amazing is something to look forward to. It's a happy times. Um, I think the concern, uh, what I am concerned about, is making myself ready uh, to be able to be prepared for those times. Uh, I want to, you know, this is, it's not going to be um, uh, the same after Moshiach comes, when everything's revealed, as the Yetzirah is going to be much less, if anything at all. So one needs to, maximum points are now. So one really has to uh, uh, go out for it to make sure uh, to better ourselves as much as we can um, before that period comes. But it's something, yes, something to look forward to. And now the hard question, how do we get ready for Mashiach? I mean, what what do we do? What, is there an area to work on? Should we work on extra Torah learning? Should we work on perfecting our character? What is the best course to be ready for the arrival of Mashiach? Um, well, the... Um 
we've always been told by our sages is to do something very small um, start and build from there, uh, but start straight away. Whatever it is, but make it small, but start and build from there and go and continue and continue. And Consistency is key. That's right. Like they say about the daf yomi, it's not about the daf, it's about the yomi. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's amazing. So uh, thank you for uh, clarifying that in my brain because from the time I finished reading the Pharaoh book, this has been weighing on my brain and the opportunity to speak to you about this is uh, is tremendous. But I, want, uh, I would like to ask the Rav if you'll indulge us for a few minutes more. Uh, how did you get involved in... in in the, in the research that you've done, the tremendous research? Uh, well, I was uh, introduced to the problem of the Second Temple period, the uh, discrepancy of 168 years by a friend who wrote a synopsis of the problem and brought down all the evidence on the secular side um, showing how the set chronology has built its absolute chronology and how they claim that you could not budge the history of Persia, of Greece, even a single year. Um, and, and, you know, we were, I was intrigued at the enormity of the evidence, or seeming to be authentic evidence, um, in the face of the the view which we have accepted throughout our history, um, traditional Jewish history, the Bible history, the Bible is actually, um, the Torah from the outset has maintained a timeline from the beginning of creation. We've been instructed to remember, um, to count from creation in order to be able to pay testimony to the creation of the world. And there is a continuous timeline all the way up um, until the end of the Second Temple, which was predicted by um, the Malach to Donia after um, seven, uh, 70, uh, 70 uh, times seven, 490 years. So we've got, and, which, and we know was in 70 years CE. So we have a continuous line from the beginning of creation, which is 3760 to 70 CE. So how could, how could there be a a lapse of uh, 168 years is gone missing from Jewish history. Uh, besides for the Messorah, we have generations of transmitters of the Torah from Moshe Rabbeinu. We've been learning Torah throughout our history, and we have sages who have given us those laws. So how could there possibly be a break in the Messorahs of Torah of almost 200 years? It's, it's outrageous. So Basically, I was enthralled by the challenge of two so powerful lines of history, yet on diametrically opposed to each other. And confronted with the authentic evidence, I believe that this was possibly the time to be able to really analyze um, the material in previous ages, the material in front of those who would try to resolve the problem was so small, uh, unreliable, and vague, which would hamper anyone who tried to come to a, a, a reasonable conclusion. But here we have such sophistication in authentic evidence, 
Um, uh, I, therefore, I, I, I thought that this would be a, an opportunity to really get to the bottom uh, of what really happened and to and, reveal the truth. To the and just to clarify to our listeners, you, you don't come from, so so they obviously, they don't see you, maybe they'll, they'll you know, research you online. Uh, you, you you look like a traditional Rav. Uh, you know, pe- I don't know what people are imagining, but you're not a, a scientist. You're not an archaeologist. Uh, you come from a yeshiva background. And so uh, I think it's, uh, we find it, you know, pretty amazing that you were able to delve into it and delve into, you know, the research and the data. Where do you even start? Right. Well, I think... Um it's good training to be able to be um, in the study of the Talmud uh, for the 20 or 30 years because uh, we're trained to um, analyze material uh, rigorously, to search for the truth, to turn every stone, uh, turn up, not to leave any stone unturned, uh, to focus uh, on objectivity, to challenge anything which is relevant, uh, and to really put in effort to to discover the truth. So those tools um, stood me in good stead to approach um, analyzing the material um, at hand with regard to the the secular uh, history of the Second Temple period. Now, Again, this synopsis was like a step, which I read was a, a stepping stone to the authentic material which was out there. Um, there was historical documentations, hundreds and thousands of pages of works of historians. I didn't pay too much attention to that because I was looking for um, evidence which was insusceptible to falsification. When you have documentation which without going into uh, analyzing whether it was or not falsified, but the fact that it could possibly be falsified uh, doesn't give it much worth at all. One needs to look and focus on um, private documents, um, king lists which have been dug up, which have been written um, by governments or, or, or sages or scholars which have no interest in other than giving over the information which they give over, um, astronomical datings which have not been influenced by any governmental governmental party or of some, some sort, any administration of some sort. Something in those lines, something on those lines would uh, be uh, wonderful to uh, analyze and to reveal the truth. And there is so much of that out there. And... Um, Basically, knowing the, um, the the stipulations of the Jewish tradition and the Bible, as lo- as well as the valid and authentic and solid um, evidence, cuneiform evidence, astronomical evidence, inscriptional evidence of the um, Persian era, the Greek era, the Egyptian era. Um, that actually directed me to where the solution actually lies. And once discovering the solution, it was just a matter of now going to look for the evidence to actually demonstrate that that is the truth. 
Amazing. I, uh, I'd like to talk uh, for a moment about uh, your book, Amparo. And uh, I, I don't want to give away anything because I, I think it's a wonderful read and I think our listeners should go out and buy it. And I don't want to give away the punchline uh, of, of which pharaoh you actually uh, pinpoint as being the pharaoh of Yitzhiz Mizraim. But I do want to ask uh, a Shaila on it well, and, and bring up two points. Uh, number one, one thing that was bothering me. So you conclude in your book uh, and you with with let's say 130 pages of of rias of proofs on who that paro was and you you give him a name uh and one one thing that uh just jumped out on me is you know there's a fa- the famous medrash that that paro uh you know didn't die at at uh yamsuf and that he was actually later the king of Nineveh at the time of yona so does that? How does that stem, or does it stem at all with your conclusion? Yes, um, it does. Um, I found that throughout uh, um, my study of the history of Egypt and Persia, um, I looked for corroboration for any medrash that I found, and I found that any Medrash, any geographical, any historical information which is contained in any Medrash of Chazal um, can be authenticated and can be corroborated by uh, the authentic evidence. In fact, even seemingly conflicting uh, Medrashim in Chazal can actually be reconciled um, with the true uh, knowledge of historical facts. Um, Yes, so... Um, the Chazal tell us that the king of the pharaoh, the pharaoh of Egypt, uh, was not killed in the sea, and he later became the king of Nineveh. In fact, there is, I don't think I mentioned this in the book, uh, but there is actually um, an inscription which was found um, referring to um, Kriyas Yamsuf um, where the, 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 uh, by an Egyptian. Uh, he talks about the whirlwind, a whirlwind of, uh, in, the, in the sea. Um, and he says that the, the Egyptians were tossed into the air by the by the whirlwind and uh, the whirlpool uh, down by Piachirot, um, he even refers to. And he wow. says the king was tossed into the air and never seen again. So it doesn't say he was killed. He was said he would disappear. And obviously he did. He didn't go back to Egypt. Uh, uh, after drowning his whole Egyptian army, uh, that wouldn't be the place to go back to. You'd and think he's persona non grata. Right, so that's yeah. so, but that leads me to my question because you mentioned in the book uh, about I think it was CT scans that were done to one of the mummies, and that's the mummy that you identify as the as the para from Yitzhak Mizraim. So how is it that the mummy could be in Egypt if he ended up in Nineveh? How how do you reconcile that? Right. Well, actually, um, the, the, what what happens is. Um, what, 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 what we actually discovered was, uh, it's actually a posse in Tehillim, that at the time um, of the Exodus, Egypt was under several dominions. There was the Northern Empire and the Southern Empire. Now, um, this actually directed us. We actually um, found this amazing um, discovery. Um, it was pointed out by um, Edward Casper, Edward Casper, he, he found this uh, amazing discovery of 
um, the mummy of Tutmos the Third, um, who is covered in boils, and right. he thought to himself, perhaps what am I, are we looking at the boils? Are we looking about evidence of this amazing visitation of the plague of boil on the on the king of Egypt? And yes, I discovered that he was right. Tutmos the Third lived at the time of um, the Tsias Mitzrayim. In fact, his father was also covered in boils, and he died at a very young age, evidently from the boils itself. And um, this allows us to pinpoint the time in Egyptian history um, when the Tsias Mitzrayim was. However, Tutmos the Third was not the persecutor, uh, nor was his father, um, of the Jewish people. He was um, in the Middle Empire, uh, but the, 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 um, the Yisrael were in Goshen and they were under the authority of the Northern Empire, which was uh, uh, different uh, people altogether. In fact, um, we, 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 we found in, and we came to the conclusion in the book that actually they weren't actually Egyptian. They were actually from uh, descendants from Aesop. Right. So that's, uh, the thing for the book. But the Tutmos III was from the 18th dynasty, and he actually lived at the time of Yetzirah Mitzrayim, and he and his father and his um, uh, wet nurse right. uh, and his aunt are covered in the plague of boils, and uh, they're not connected hereditary, right? Right, right. That was that was so, amazing to me. So, so just so, yeah, just to clarify to to, to the listeners, uh, the fact that the boils and and she, the wet nurse, was was buried in the the tomb together with them, and they know that there was no genetic correlation. So therefore, the boils could not have been some sort of hereditary disease that they had. It had to be something external that they both experienced, which to me is uh, is an amazing raya, amazing amazing raya. Right, right, and and, and the the most incredible thing of all is that if we follow Egyptian history, and this is according to the most scholarly analysis of Egyptian history, following Tutmos the, the, um, the, the second who, who died at the time of the plague of the we follow 520 years or so uh, of Egyptian history from Tutmos onwards, we come to um, Shishak, uh, which is Shoshenk. Uh, the time, for, uh, according to the Bible, 520 years after Yutias Mitzrayim, um, Shishak uh, ransacked the, um, the the storehouses of the the gold and, uh, and the silver from the, from Shleimah Melech. And that, if we, if we follow 520 years from Tutubos, we come to Shoshenk, who has a uh, an obvious connection with Shishak. And if we continue another. Um, 200 years or so, we come to uh, Tihaka, which um, is in the Bible and is also in Egyptian history. Amazing. And following on another 103 years from Tihaka, we come to Nico, and also in the Bible, Nukem of Yoyokit in history, along with the Bible leading up to Tutmos Third at the time of Yetzirah Mitzrayim and when we open the mummy and we take a cat scan, we find he's covered in the plague of boils, which was exactly what we would expect to be. Amazing, amazing. So, Rav, uh, this is this is amazing. What? Tell us what you're working on. What's next? What do we have to look forward to? What's the next well, big Mashiach revelation? Is not enough for you. No, no, no. I, I'm talking about the Rav's works. <laughs> what 
uh, is there something that you're working on currently that uh, that we should be looking out for? Uh, well, uh, hopefully, Mitzvah coming very soon um, is the book on the six days of creation, oh. um, um, it, it, which we attempt to reconcile um, the scientific evidence of the um, the age of the universe with the Torah and traditional um, painting. Um, it's all about missing billions. Oh, that's amazing! Could you could you give us a, a, just a small sneak preview in what's to come? A small sneak preview. Uh, well. Um, you need to brush up on on your physics in order to be able Uh-oh. to. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, I think a, a crucial a crucial point is is relativity. Einstein, Albert Einstein, in the beginning of the 1900s, they came up with uh, relativity. Um, the idea of um, time and space um, are not as 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 tu- as intuition uh, dictates, but uh, space can expand and time can expand, uh, and that is a crucial point in. Uh, arriving at uh, how to uh, resolve the missing billions uh, with the traditional age of, uh, of, uh, the, of the universe as 5,782 years as we have it. And when, it, when is that going to be coming out? Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's at the moment in copy editing, so hopefully uh, um, at the end of the summer. Um, Just in time for Pasha's Barishas. Yes, that's the idea, yeah. Excellent, excellent. I'm I'm looking forward to it tremendously because I've enjoyed uh, I've enjoyed your other your other farm other books because they're they're all written in English. By the way, uh, for our listeners, uh, they're very so. Uh, the Rav just mentioned physics, but I will say there is a lot of technical in the books. But but a layman can read these books and really get a sense. There's there's parts where I'll admit you know things went over my head a little bit, but. Uh, you write them for to be accessible to regular people. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it can be read on a uh, in depth level, but it can also be read um, in a general uh, to get the general idea and to bring home the the concepts and uh, and the evidences. You don't need to be a scientist to see uh, the evidence. Any person of intelligence can recognize valid and solid evidence. It's something for any person. To relate to and to see and uh, the, the the demonstration of the veracity of the Torah and of uh, the sages and the Jewish tradition. Amazing, amazing. First of all, thank you for coming on, and I think that we should from now schedule our next <laughs> our next interview with the Rub. I would like it to be like Motzah Tishabov of next year, because I'd like. I hope we'll be pleasantly surprised. I hope so too, but I think we should speak about it. I think we should definitely, you know, put our heads together and see what's next. You know, whether whether Mashiach is here, you know, we could probably use your help. Um, and if not, we can definitely look forward to the, that next that next uh, point in time, which is, I think is twenty twenty seven, where, where we'll see big things. Yes, maybe you'll be able to have an interview with Mashiach himself, and might be able to help uh, re, uh, reunite the whole of. Uh, the whole of the world, the whole of the Jewish nation, on all four corners. I'm not sure he'll come on to the Kiddush Club, but it's <laughs> yeah. worth a shot. Uh, yeah, why not? I mean, you're doing everything fantastic work here. You're in a tremendous Kiddush Hashem, and you're bringing out the the truth to the world. Uh, yes, that is the that is the podium for Moshiach. What else? Excellent. I, I, I'm just as just a side question. I'm just curious. Do you see technology playing a big part? 
in Mashiach, in the arrival of Mashiach? Like, are these things, technology in and of itself as a whole, the way it's progressing, do you see that as a test and a hindrance to the Mashiach? Or do you see that as something that is has been brought down to the world to enhance that and to help the arrival of Mashiach? Good question. I think, yeah, I mean, technology... Um, is something one has to be very careful and very wary of. It can be extremely dangerous, um, but can be used in the right way. Um, we see the world is beginning smaller and smaller. It's such a big world, but in the, in the, in the, in the idea of being united and, and bringing to the world in the click of a button, you can bring so much um, news and information to people in the right way. Um, and... Um, the Gemara tells us that um, the Ur of the Shishas and Mebrashis was, was hidden from the world because it would have been disused, uh, but it's going to be there at the time of Moshiach. Uh, we see that the, the idea um, how a person can now see from one end of the world to the other. Uh, we can see how dangerous that can be. But Bezrat uh, Hashem, in the times of Moshiach, that will all be used only for Kedusha and Tyra. And, and bringing total unity and uh, glorification um, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this world. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Rav, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Uh, this has been so amazing, inspiring, illuminating. Enlightening. Enlightening. Uh, this was uh, everything I hoped it would be and more. Uh, we appreciate so much that you came on. Thank you very much. It was a great pleasure to be with you and to share with you uh, what we uh, what we discussed in our conversation. And lovely meeting with you both. Thank you. You too. Once again, we want to thank Rabbi Hul uh, for taking time out of his very busy schedule. Uh, look, check for his uh, sparum. His by books. the way, by the way, he's located in Israel, so the time yes. difference itself. You, you probably noticed it was a Zoom. Uh, he's in Israel. It was pretty late at night for him, so we want to thank the rabbi. And to me, that was just, that wasn't fascinating. Mind-blowing, mind-blowing. Game changer. You you must, if you're listening to this podcast, go out, get his books. Uh, my favorite so far has been the book on Pharaoh. Uh, you can find them wherever Jewish books are sold. You could also find them online. You check, check them out on Amazon. Tell people which is the one that discusses Mashiach. It's the Pharaoh book, but just so you know, it's very funny because he writes this whole book on Pharaoh, and then all the way at the end, after like the bibliography or whatever, there's just two pages where he talks about Mashiach, and I wasn't expecting that. And so I he he actually asked by email, you know, what are we going to be talking about? I never mentioned that I was going to ask about Mashiach. So you caught him completely. I wanted off to guard. catch him off guard because I wanted I wanted to be able to have that magical experience that we just had. And so the book is not about Mashiach whatsoever. It's about Paro, but it's it's really fascinating. Which, by the way, it'll change your Passover experience. Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. You know, you, when you come to a Seder and you're, you've got these facts and you've got data to sit and talk about. I meant to ask Rabbi, all those, those just... There were there were many other things that I wanted to ask the the rav. Of course, it was very late, so we couldn't. But just to give you an idea, in this this Paro book, he shows evidence that it's possible they found a statue that could have been of Asaph. 
Really? Yes. And there's a picture of it in the book. Huh. Amazing. What does it Amazing. look like? <laughs> I would love to see it. Now I'm going to read it. Read the book. Yeah, now I'm reading Read the it. book. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. Follow us at Kiddish Club Cast. We are on Instagram at Kiddish Club Podcast. Check us out on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. Uh, leave a review. Give us five stars. Um, write something nice on Apple. And don't forget to check out Jewish Mythbusters. Uh, that's where we tackle different myths that are circulating in Judaism and we tell you is it legit or not thanks for listening so don't forget to check out Jewish Mythbusters and we are out This episode is copyright Kiddish Club Media.